Hello, podcast listeners. This is Jared Pickney, and today is a really special episode for me because we are joined by Dr. Brent Riddick, who is the veterinarian who saved my dog Ranger's life. During our conversation, we not only relive my dog's near-death experience, but we also talk about the behind-the-scenes of a veterinarian's life, the ups, the downs, and everything in between. So with no further ado, here is today's episode with Dr. Brent Reddick. Dr. Reddick, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Hey, thanks, Jared, for having me. So I don't typically do this, but I want to start with a personal story. November, it's Thanksgiving morning. My dog, Ranger, was shot in our front yard. Uh, obviously, he got very sick, had a near-death experience, would have died if it wasn't for you and your team. And so I'm wondering, obviously, I know the details, but for those listening, I think this would also give them a great behind-the-scenes, some of the work you do. Tell us that story uh, about Ranger and what all you did to help him save his life. Kind of kind of share uh, your side of it. Uh, give us your perspective on what happened. I, I had to go back and refresh my memory on it. Okay. Uh, I did go back a little bit because I remembered the the, the, the main parts, but uh, yeah. uh, had to go back and look a little bit. But I, I guess you kind of want to run down of what that was and what uh, yeah, more like, detail. Yeah, uh, he, I mean, you basically, you had to kind of rework the whole inside of his stomach area, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so kind of go back to the beginning of the the, the big picture of the of the whole case, um, uh, and some of this is coming off memory, some's coming yeah. off of medical records yeah. a little bit. But uh, um, you know, you had called me, I think, or, or texted me about Ranger and said, you know, he was shot. Uh, we they think it was a small caliber, like mm-hmm. a pellet rifle mm-hmm. or something. And um, you know, and I remember telling you, but that's may have been before I ever saw Ranger. Was, yes, you know, it's normally like it. If it hits something really bad, you're going to know really quickly. Yes. Um, and if it doesn't, then he's probably going to be okay without mm-hmm. a lot of attention. Um, interestingly, um, Ranger chose the third option, <laughs> yep, which was a slow course to a really bad problem. Um, and, and, and a little backstory on this. One of the things that, that made me feel like, uh, you know, given it already been 12 to 24 hours, I think, when you contacted me, uh, and Ranger seemed to be stable, doing okay, is a little, little backstory. When when I get a dog, let's say, that comes in with an injury, and the history on this dog is that, well, it lives in the country. We live out on county road, such and such. Um, he doesn't stay fenced up. He mm-hmm. kind of roams the neighborhood and everything. And let's say this dog comes in with, uh, you know, it's vomiting or something, just yep. to, just some problem. And something just, out of the norm. Out yeah. of the norm, and we see we need to take an x-ray on it. You would not believe the number of dogs that we find uh, bullets in, uh, whether it's birdshot. So that's fairly 22, common. Very common. A, a dog that lives several years on a county road and runs up and down those roads, he has lead in him somewhere, uh, more than half. It's crazy. Wow. And so I know from history that a lot of dogs take pellets, take bullets. And just keep on and going. And just keep on going. And so in that case with Ranger and, you know, the way it went – um, I thought, well, he's he's yeah. stable. Based off stable. the odds, the stats. Yeah, so he didn't yeah. hit a major artery. He didn't bleed to death within the first right. hour or two. Um, odds were pretty good. This guy was going to need some antibiotics, some attention, and um, he was going to be okay. But that that wasn't what happened. Now I don't. When I did look at the uh, at the timeline, I uh, I don't recall the exact number of days, but it was quite a bit, mm-hmm. maybe a week or so. Mm-hmm. He had lost some weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, was eating quite a bit or a little bit, but not enough to sustain. Absolutely. Um, but what eventually happened was he developed a very severe infection within his abdomen. And so that pellet, even though it was small, we think it was from a pellet rifle, um, it did penetrate some of his bowel. And 
a lot of times what will happen when you get a small puncture like that is the body will simply heal that huh. that part of the body or you know that injury uh, without any help. So the body has a really cool way of healing itself. It'll use some tissue and plug that hole, and we'll go on about our you know mm-hmm. our day. Um, that was not the case with Ranger. He continued to spill out leakage from his bowel, which contained bacteria, mm-hmm. and uh, developed a very very severe uh, peritonitis within that abdomen. Yes. Um, yeah, he was basically skin and bones, except his stomach was getting bigger and bigger because right. of that fluid, right? Right, right. Um, and so what we eventually had to make the decision, like, okay, he's getting sick. Now he's filling up with fluid. Um, this is not going well. We went to surgery. And mm-hmm. I think I remember telling you, like, this this fluid that's coming out of here is not good. It This is going to be a risky surgery, but we mm-hmm. were kind of forced into it at this point. Mm-hmm. Um and I ended up having to take his spleen out and a very large portion of what's called omentum. It's tissue in the abdomen. That, that's kind of the thing that, that helps heal a lot mm-hmm. of times. That's the plug. That like it had rotted pretty much. It, it, was, it was rotten. It was yeah. bad. Um, I was in the surgery, and I don't know how, how much yeah. of this I told you at the yeah. time, um, but in the surgery was thinking, this guy may not mm-hmm. wake up from this surgery. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, this the the amount of tissue damage, the amount of the, the blood supply, the fragility of it. Um, I spent a long time tying off bleeding, you know, material wow. within that abdomen thinking, I don't know if this is going to stop or not. Yeah. And uh, as we know, uh, we saw him earlier today, so yeah, yeah. Uh, everything turned out okay. Uh, yes. But that's kind of his story. He was... Uh, that's crazy, man. I, yeah. I've, I've seen some very, very critical patients. Um, he would be in the very top of that as far as pulling through an illness. Wow. You know, I never considered myself a dog person up until this dog almost died. And, I mean, I'm not really a crier, but, like, man, to see how sad my kids were. And I remember, I think the day before we brought him in, it was a Sunday, and I had uh, woke up. I was was getting ready to come up here to preach, and and we just literally couldn't get him to move. And I just cried, man. And I was so sad that I was like, first off, we live in a world where someone just shoots your, a dog when it goes by, but then also just like seeing how sad my kids were. And also like dogs are, at least this dog has been a, a really just a tangible expression of like what I type of God's unconditional love in my life. And the fact that no matter what kind of day I have <laughs> or who I disappoint or upset or whatever, like he's always happy to see me. And so I was like, dang, man, like my kid's going to be sad. I'm going to be sad. And when we took him to you, I honestly expected that y'all were going to say, I really did when I went, like, y'all, I was prepared for y'all to say, I mean, you really just need to put him down. Like, there's nothing we're going to be able to do at this point. And then knowing what you said when you go into surgery, like, I can't guarantee this is going to do anything, but we're going to give it our best shot. And then when he came out of surgery, even, you were like, hey, we're going to keep him on. I don't know if you remember this. Like, y'all, y'all put him, I guess y'all kept him a couple nights. I, th- I think so. And he still wasn't really eating. But we came up, and even, even then I came up, uh, the kids and Megan were like, I'm not sure we're going to see him again after this. But right after we left, he started eating. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of your nurses called us and said, hey, I guess y'all made a decision that he's still very, very sick, but he might do better at home just with some love. And so we sent him home, still not sure, but he began to eat and then eat and eat and got stronger. And, and so, um, and yeah, he's doing great today. And so we're very thankful for Dr. Reddick, right? Very thankful for you and the work. And I know that that is probably one of many other stories where people have come to you with these pets that are like family members in some ways to them. And so I'm curious, 
uh, before we kind of talk about kind of modern day and your practice, how did you even get into this work? Like you're from Green, you went to Green County Tech, right? Green County Tech, born and raised in Paragol. Okay, born and raised in Paragol. When did you graduate high school? 98. 98. Did you know when you came out of school that you were going to be a vet out of high school? I did not, actually. Um, I guess, like many kids, being a veterinarian was kind of a little, it was a little bit of a childhood dream. You know, I want to be a vet when I grow up. But but to be honest, um, when I graduated high school, I started at Arkansas State in Jonesboro with the intent of becoming a physical physical therapist. Um. I had injured my knee in high school playing football, and so I, I got to know some physical therapy. Um, mm. And, and uh, through that, I, I thought I wanted to be a physical therapist. Um, fortunately, uh, during my freshman year at Arkansas State, um, the physical therapy program, um, I, I, I don't know technically what happened, but they lost their accreditation or something there at, at Arkansas State. So the ability to get a physical therapy a degree at Arkansas State was somewhat in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at that point, I kind of na- needed to make a decision. Do I want to continue down this path that I don't know will have a finish line, mm-hmm. or do I want to pursue another goal? Uh, honestly, the reason why I opted, I'll be honest, <laughs> the reason why I opted against veterinary medicine um, in that beginning, like in the high school days, is I'm a homebody. I love home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really do. Love Paragould, mm-hmm. um, hunt and fish, do all those kind of things around here. And uh, so I knew that going to veterinary school was going to require picking up and moving a long yeah. ways. And, uh, oh, I just didn't think that was mm-hmm. that was not something I wanted to mm-hmm. do. Um, as a freshman in college, uh, I guess I'd matured a little bit, a little older. And uh, when that, those decisions came back up at that 19, 20-year-old age, I decided that, um, you know, it might not be a bad idea to get, get away a little bit. Not that mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. had any problems at home. Sure. Uh, but the idea of moving away to accomplish a goal – uh, didn't seem as, as daunting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it didn't. Um, and so I, I went down that path. Where'd you go? Um, I, I went to Arkansas State. I stayed there. Yep. Um, uh, four years at Arkansas State as an animal science major, and then uh, went to veterinary school at uh, LSU, Louisiana State. Okay, it was a little bit of a journey. It. What made was, you choose LSU? Um, well, LSU is uh, unique uh, in that there is a trade out program still exists today, as far as I know. Uh, of students, and so LSU will take um, a certain number of students that can fluctuate year to year, but let's just say 15, you know, 14, 15 students from, that are residents of Arkansas, and they will grant them admission uh, as residents uh, in uh, the LSU Veterinary School, and in exchange, uh, residents of Louisiana get guaranteed admission into some of the medical field. I'm not sure what it is. Mm. It may be UAMS, like pediatrics. There's something that – so it's a trade-out, essentially. They have veterinary medicine, which we don't, uh, and we have something in the medical field that they don't have. Uh, and so it's, you know, we'll guarantee a certain number of spots, and then we'll trade you spots at our school. Huh. So it works out good. Um, and so that was uh, – that's why most veterinarians, I would say three-fourths of veterinarians – in the state of Arkansas, went to LSU. Got in there and get you some good gumbo and some good education. The culture was amazing. We loved oh, it. Oh, yeah, man. I, I love yeah. the food in New Orleans. Now, the shame was is when you're going to school. <laughs> yeah. You don't have time to enjoy anything? Well, you don't have time or the money to enjoy a lot of that food. <laughs> yeah. So while Absolutely. the gumbo sounds good, it was yeah, ramen noodles. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. How long is that school? Uh, it's four years is uh, is what is necessary, really. I mean, you can go on and do internships and and specialize in things, but at four years, yeah. um, you can you can become a veterinarian. Was it uh, easier than you thought, or more difficult than you thought? Um, let me answer that by saying that I've been asked before, 
if you were told in order to continue to be a veterinarian, you'd have to go back to school, I would probably do something else. Wow. <laughs> it was extremely challenging. Um, but on I, the I also, front end or the back end more, like which one's the more challenging part of it? it what do you, at the beginning, like of, the beginning of it or the end? Of, yeah. Uh, is it the, good? the whole, well, the first, if you break the four years down into, uh, um, what, what you're doing, the first two and a half years are all pretty much all classroom, some labs involved, but mostly classroom, uh, eight to five, five days a week. Like, wow. It is daunting. It's a job. Oh, it's, if you break it down like college hours, it was 25 to 26 hours a semester is kind of how you would do it. Um, But that first two and a half years of classroom, and then it's the last year and a half um, is clinicals. And pretty much if you can make it through that first two and a half years, if you can get through all the classwork, um, it's pretty smooth sailing after that. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to fail out or not finish. Tell me this. Do you really, like, and I've thought about this like with doctors, it seems like, like, do you really, like, the things that you learned in the classroom, are those things you still remember, or is it really the clinicals? And then just continually, like, ongoing learning, like, as you do it. Because, like, I'm just thinking about my own education, like, in, in the profession I'm in. Yeah. You know, I'm sure that stuff helped, but I can't recall any of the papers or the test or the dates or the, any of that kind of stuff. And it's just been like more on the job, like as I as I shadowed other people and apprenticed under other people, and then just did it myself. Like, how much of of that really contributed? You think those first two and a half years, the textbook work of setting you up for success? Was it all of it? Was it like half of it? Was it? What would you say? Or was it more of the clinicals? It's it's definitely all of it combined. I mean, the the, the classroom portion is very important, and uh, I find myself every once in a while I sit down, I will talk to Doctor Dow or my, my mm-hmm. associate. And uh, we'll be looking at a, at a case, talking about it, and I'll pull some word out to define, mm-hmm. or she may do it. We'll mm-hmm. back and forth. We'll throw some word out that we haven't used in years, but it but it came from your training. It came from from a book, you yeah. know, about what it is, and we kind of we chuckle about it because it's uh, yeah. how did where did that come and from? And it's in how, there, and it's it is it's uh, you know just a, it's kind of like learning things is is the is is. The easy part, recalling it, yes. is, you know, it's pulling it from that, that memory yes. vault uh, that's a challenge. Um, but no doubt, I mean, just like with most professions, like you mentioned with what you do, um, the degree at the end, it's, it's basically a license to learn. Mm-hmm. It is, I have, I have taken all these tests. Mm-hmm. I have passed these exams. I have fulfilled all these requirements. Therefore, I have proven that I can go out and learn how to do this. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I was very blessed, and I don't know if you're ready for me to kind of move on to post-graduation mm-hmm. sure. here. Yeah. Um, whenever I graduated, I went to work in Jonesboro uh, at, a, at a practice, a multi-doctor practice there, and I had a great uh, mentor uh, mm-hmm. out of practice. It's a multi-doctor practice, but I spent most of my hours working side-by-side side with uh, uh, Dr. Everett Rogers, who okay. um, a lot of people will remember years ago, Rogers Animal Hospital or Animal Clinic mm. here in Paragould. Uh, he worked there as well. Uh, we spent a lot of time working together, and and uh, um, I'll just go ahead and throw it out there that he is one awesome individual. Mm-hmm. Um, really took me under his wing, and uh, and sure enough, whenever I would ask really dumb questions about simple things, mm-hmm. um, he 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 might chuckle a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> but he would discreetly answer my yeah. questions um, with regard to a case. And so if something really weird came in, uh, I might be all over it and understand mm-hmm. it. But then these super simple things might walk through the door that they just didn't talk about in school much yeah. because 
It's not that you're yeah. going to see this all the time. Yep, You'll yeah, learn yeah. about it later. Um, and so it, there were some there were some comical times where some very easy things stumped me in that first, you know, that first year or so. What do and, you uh, think is the biggest thing you took away from him, or biggest like lessons? Like, what? Why was that such a valuable time for you? Like when you look back, how has his mentorship? You think probably still even kind of molded you and shaped you into kind of how you practice today. I don't, I don't think it was specific to the medicine as much as it just was the example that he led with how to conduct himself. That mm. bad things can happen. Uh, people can be upset. Um, he just handled all those situations with such grace. Mm. Um, and and to see that, I mean, that I, that's what I tried to, to mimic, is just take everything um, that comes at me every day mm. with I'll do the best I can mm-hmm. with all the tools I have. And... You know, it may not work out like we want, yeah. but I've still done the best that I can. Yes, and I can I can sleep at night. If, yes, if I you know practice with that. Have you found the 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 patient side of things to be challenging? Like I, I, you know, I'm just wondering, like being in that profession. You know, I'm guessing there are some people that come in. And they always think their issues very important, and of course, that's a dog or a cat or animal they love very much, and they need you to do your best right now as quick as possible. Like, but maybe you've seen that particular thing 20 times already with that month. You know what I'm saying? Like, is it, is it hard? Like explain to me kind of the dynamic of like, how do you, is there a science to it? Is there an art to it? Like of meeting people kind of where they are um, and, and, and not, I guess not becoming apathetic or not becoming cynical or not becoming just, how are you able to, I guess, yeah, meet them in the space that they're in, um, knowing everything that you already know and seeing these patients over and over and over and over again? Does that make sense? Like without necessarily getting hardened or just being kind of like, okay, you're another number or, you know, does that make sense what I'm asking? It makes sense. And I think I can speak for all veterinarians to say that that is something you have to consciously Mm -hmm. think about in practice. Mm -hmm. Um, because it does and can get very mechanical. Mm-hmm. Um, it can. Sure. Um, and and that, is, that is something that I try to work at every day. I try to remind myself that, uh, I mean, if we're just putting it in, into real world here, that these people that bring me a dog or a cat, for that matter, they, they spend 365 days a year with that pet. They are the primary caretaker mm-hmm. of that pet all year. Um, I get to see it for 30 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. give, or, give or take a little. I get a, a little window into the life of that pet um, once or twice a year, maybe more, maybe less. It depends. But at the end of the day, I have to remind myself that, that if they bring me something that is a problem, whether it's behavioral or health or whatever, my job is not to necessarily fix it with that pet at that time of that exam. That's part of it. But the bigger thing is the communication with that person Mm -hmm. so that they can help that pet, that other, you know, every day of the year. And so I guess a big focus is making sure that our clients are educated um, because they're going to be the ones doing the the vast majority of the care. Um, They can't do something wrong all year, walk in and meet 30 minutes, fix it. Um, we, this has got to be an ongoing thing where we're well, client education, um, 
is is number one. What when you say client education, like what are some of the things that pet owners, some of the biggest mistakes you think they make when it comes to caring for their pet? Like what are some of the things that you feel like you have to correct most often or teach most often? Okay. So I'll use a specific example um, that that is every day. Every day. And and that would be let's let's say fleas. Mm-hmm. So let, let's get into fleas because mm-hmm. they're they're a problem, um, and uh, this is one of those items that that you alluded to a few minutes ago where you said is that one of these things that you see it all the time. You get in here and it's just like it's there are a number and things. So when a pet comes into me with fleas, there you go. That is the the poster child of that example, so to speak. Um, in that, if they bring let's let's throw out a scenario. Someone brings me a pet that has fleas. And I say, your dog has fleas. Here's some medication to get rid of those fleas. I have solved that dog's problem that day. But if I do not educate that person as to why those fleas were there and why if they don't continue to give flea preventative, they're going to see more fleas. Mm. I see so many people who do not understand um, how their dog that never goes outside, or their cat for that matter, uh, how it can continue to get fleas even though it never goes outside so or mm. rarely goes outside. Um, and so it's important for me to educate, or my staff for that matter, I've got really good staff that are able to do this, um, the life cycle of a flea in mm. that there are fleas in the house, on the fabric, in the on the rugs, on the beds. Mm-hmm. And that life cycle takes around five to six months to come full circle. And if they don't understand that, if I don't educate them, if my practice doesn't educate them, they will come in three or four times a year with a dog with fleas or a cat with fleas and have no idea why. They, they gave it medication three or four months mm-hmm. ago. Why do they keep getting fleas? And they just need to understand how that whole yeah. process works. If they can understand that, they can break the cycle. Yes. And uh, Instead of coming to you guys for like, you know, like emergency management type stuff, like, hey, let's get ahead of this thing. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, what is the saying? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. <laughs> and yeah. uh, there couldn't be anything uh, more um, to prove that when it comes to that example. What have you found uh, from your experience make the best dogs as far as like uh, temperament? Like, I'm curious, is there a certain breed or is it absolutely You're going to get me in like, trouble on here. I know, man. <laughs> what is your, let me just ask you, like, from your experience, what have been some of your own personal, like, this is a good family dog. Like, I'm thinking about the person maybe listening to this who they're interested in getting a dog, but there's so many different dogs out there. It's overwhelming how many different breeds. Like, what are just good traditional, like, family dogs based off of just what you've seen? Well, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all. Okay. I'll say that for sure. Uh, now, I will say, I'll, I'll name one breed um, in particular just because it's been one that's been in my family for a while. I, I have a, a tendency to like miniature schnauzers a little bit. They're a pretty cool breed. Um, I have, you know, have, I've had several growing up. They're a okay. cool breed for, for a few different reasons. Um, but I, outside of that, I'm not going to name particular breeds. Okay, that's fine. But I will say, um, people need to research. That's the biggest thing. Research what different breeds i mean information is easy to find Mm -hmm. what do different breeds need um some some are great at being little dogs that sit on the couch and sleep all day some are great there's other dogs that that it would drive them nuts if that's what you expected out of them 
So uh, it's hard to answer that question because it really depends on the family. Depends on the family. Because if a family the, wants a couch potato dog, yeah. you're going to want this breed. I mean, if for, you want, I, I'll name like an example here. Um, an Australian Shepherd or a Border Collie. I mean, those are working dogs. So if you yes. own a quarter acre here in town and you want a dog for the couch, yep. that's not it. Uh, now, there could be exceptions to that. There, there are probably... There's probably a border collie listening right now on the couch. <laughs> it is just as we have happy. a big, big following of border I, I, collies. I thought so. I thought so. And so they're thinking, this is what I love to do, my dream job. <laughs> I'm on the couch. Uh, but as a rule of, or as a tendency, I would say, um, working dogs need to be in working environments. Couch potatoes can be yes. couch potatoes and things. So, so really research that um, there are other dogs that are very you know, strong. Um, I don't know if hard-headed is the right word, but they're they're a, a dominant type breed, and that's fine if if they're yeah you know if they have an owner or a family who can handle that. Yeah. And uh, my neighbor when I we lived in Carriage Hills had a Belgian Mound noise that he paid like I don't know like four or five six thousand dollars for. We got it in West Virginia, right? right. God, I mean those things are so smart. But he was like, they are they have an incredible amount of energy and drive. And so they it's do. like people look at them and they're like, I want that dog. And he's like, you have to work and work and work. They're like, tear up all your furniture. So it's well, like what you're talking about. It's like you and I do see a few yeah. uh, uh, Malinois, and they are definitely, they're at the top of that list of dogs so that, that they need an owner who understands yep. them, controls them, and knows them. They're brilliant. They are great at their job. Uh, used a lot in, in police. Yes, uh, Navy like SEALs. That. So they're, yeah. they're awesome. But they're not that little couch potato dog. <laughs> yeah, that's not owned by the person who is not an alpha. You know, that's not the authoritarian it, over them. Uh, that just turns into a disaster. Does it matter, like where, like I know I'll stay with dogs, and I'm sorry, cat people, if you're out there, just I have a dog, so that's why I'm curious. Like I have cats, they're good. Too. Do you? I, I, used love, to, I love cats. Look, so my dad uh, was diagnosed with cancer, and I was in eighth grade, and my mom researched and found this cat, like what was it? Is it Himalayan ragdoll? Right. Is that mm-hmm. a thing? Okay. It's like the look at the cat off Meet the Parents. My mom <laughs> bought this cat off of online. This is like back in like the mid nineties when it's like still dial up and I bought this cat online. I had it flown in to Memphis Airport and uh because she was convinced that it was going to help like our family just kind of bond over this time period. And that cat was traumatized. She was like, These rag dolls, they just go limp in your arms. This cat never wanna be touched. <laughs> never wanna be touched. Now it did fetch straws. And so uh, Felix was his name. So uh, there are exceptions to all. There are exceptions all the rules. to all. Yeah, but so let me ask you this though: like, does does uh, around behavior with these pets does like order that they're born in, or like is there just is it just like a human being to where like you can have three kids, same household, act totally different? Is that part of it as well? Oh, where it's like that's why you yeah. can't say like it's oh it's always it, it, one breed. Absolutely, okay. I mean that's why I can't say that a particular breed is is not a good dog because yeah. there are exceptions to all of okay. that. Um, Makes sense. I mean, there there's good and bad from every breed. Yeah. yeah. What do you enjoy the most about your job and then what's most challenging about it, you think? Hmm. I guess the thing I enjoy the most would be the variability of what I get to see. I get to do a lot of different things. Um, the, the degree, um, veteran medicine degree, enables me to pretty much do everything. Um, and so e- even though you can go on beyond uh, a veterinary medicine degree and, and specialize, um, I, I still can do a lot of different aspects of practice. And so, um, you know, for instance, in the morning, I may see an appointment or two that's dermatology-based, maybe a skin issue. And then mm. and then I may, an hour later, I may be repairing a broken leg 
oh, wow. or doing a surgery, you know, surgery on yeah. an abdomen of ranger, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, so um, I just get to do a lot of really cool stuff. Um, now, I, I, I feel like I've kind of done everything by now, uh, but I still get to do a, a lot of different things. Um, and so that's that's probably the most enjoyable thing. It, it, it doesn't get uh, – um, you can see new things. See, mm-hmm. Still, I've been practicing, I guess, 17, 18 years now. And, uh, Probably uh, don't see as many new things as you did. Not today. as many. Yeah. Not as many. But, uh, but it's still, it stays interesting. Yeah. yeah. What's, what's most difficult about it? Everybody has those parts of their jobs, right? It's like, this is like really amazing. And it's like, yeah, this is challenging at times. What would that be for, for you as a vet? Oh, that, that's, that's, it really is a tough one. Um, I don't know if this is the right answer, the toughest part necessarily, but the worst part would be when, whenever uh, is seeing uh, when people are really upset. Mm-hmm. Because really, I mean, we think about it as a veterinarian. I, I treat, I treat pets, I treat animals, but really, what I'm doing is I'm treating that that human animal bond. I guess mm-hmm. you know, I'm really, mm-hmm. I'm there for those people, mm-hmm. and so and this is gonna this is gonna sound that that part where you said you know it gets mechanical or really kind of cold or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I can deal with when pets are sick. That's inevitable. Mm-hmm. They're going to succumb yep. to sure, reality absolutely. at some point That's in their exactly life. Right. Um, but it gets really challenging when, or, or the hard, the worst days are when you see people really, really upset yeah. about it. Um, and then there's time when you're like, did I do enough? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but then it kind of goes back to what Dr. Rogers and, you know, had taught me there is, is, you know, you do the best you can. Uh, but that's that's the worst part. Um, sure, euthanasias. I do that all the time. Um, you know, I have to put pets to sleep. Is how people would would put that. Um, I, I may do one, two, three a day some days. Really, um, I, it's kind of mind blowing. Um, but you know, how do have, you have those conversations with people? Like, I don't know if that's even changed as you've gone on, but like it, when you know, especially if you know the bond is close. Like, it, I mean, how do you have that conversation? If hey, look, like we're not this dog, this ant, this cat, whatever, like it needs to be put down or it's not going to make it. Like how do you deliver that news? I mean, is there a a right way to do it? I mean, whenever it's uh, younger, middle-aged, unexpected, something like that, obviously the conversation is harder than if it's an an older patient, maybe with a a disease or problem that was known ahead of time. And so it's less... um, but I think you just, I think the easy, easiest way to handle it is just to be honest. Um, I feel like I do a good job of talking to people, um, communicating with people in a um, friend-to-friend manner almost. Like I just, I just tell it like it is um, as gently as I can, but I don't think that beating around the bush, lying, misleading um, in order to make them feel better, um, I don't think that helps anything at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't, you know, I have a lot of people that will bring me an elderly pet and, um, or, or any pet for that matter that's not doing well and they want, they really want me to tell them whether I believe it's time for that, for euthanasia. And uh, I try to stay away from that. I don't, I don't want to be the, the primary decision maker on that, but usually through conversation, Q&A, back and forth, um, I can get them to understand um, whether it's time or not. And, and to be honest, my focus is I want them, if they do make that decision, that it is time. I want them to leave that day comfortable that mm, they made the right decision. That's huge. And that, that's my emphasis right there 
is is I want them to be content with the decision they made, and I'll fully support where they're at. I'll if they have questions, I'll I'll answer every question they have about it. Um, but essentially, um, my most important thing is I want them to leave content that they did the right thing. Yeah, yeah, and it's inevitable for the majority of these pets. Not many, sure. not many pets are gonna go to sleep at night and not wake up the next day. Right. I mean, they usually show some outward uh, symptoms of problem. Sure. Um, and 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 we are in a position where we can uh, put them at rest without them having to suffer. And, yeah. And so uh, it's not one of the fun parts of the job by any means, but yeah. it can be a very, very important part. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Well, you guys have been, uh, you have been, your, you know, the, the whole clinic has been great. Uh, with us and so we're incredibly thankful for y'all and uh, felt the whole situation we had with Ranger that everyone handled it with grace and was very informative and I remember this either you or somebody else would sit down and, and show us the numbers and here's where we are and um, so it, there's a lot more I know questions I could ask and parts of the job that we could jump into but um, for the sake of time I'm going to move us into rapid fire questions are you ready for right, it let's go all right so what is your favorite band um, I guess, I mean, I, I have a very well-rounded, like a lot of, uh, genre. Like I, I like a little bit of everything, but if I had to give a single answer to, I'll go with two. Coldplay. Ooh, yeah. And James Taylor. James Taylor. Never was really big into James Taylor. Give me one song by James Taylor. Uh, You've Got a Friend's probably one okay. of his. Okay. Yeah, classic. Yeah, it's a classic. I like several of them now. You have a favorite Coldplay song? I know it's so hard. Uh, not, just... no, no. I mean, I just. Like it all. Yeah. It'd be a great band to see in a concert. I've seen them twice. Have you really? Wow. And that probably lends to why I like them a little bit. Oh, uh, yeah. They're I've incredible. heard they put an incredible live it is, show. It is an incredible show. I saw on YouTube, I think it was maybe a couple of years ago, uh, they had a show and they brought on the uh, lead singer from uh, The Verve, um, Bittersweet Symphony. They okay. came and okay. did uh, the Bittersweet Symphony with him. It's really, really cool. So uh, what is either the last show or movie you watched or the last book you read? We'll go... I, I don't read a ton, so who would after going through vet I mean, school? That's kind of where yeah, I read enough through school. <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm done with that. <laughs> so um, I guess the show I don't. We don't even watch a lot of TV. Stay so busy with everything. Uh, but the Netflix series, I guess quarterback. I've watched most. Ooh, that is most good, of man. that, and that that's pretty cool. I liked that. It's um, really good. You kind of got an insight on on those three quarterbacks. That's yeah, pretty man. Cool. I I can't help now but root for. Kirk Cousins oh, in the Minnesota absolutely. How could you not? It, it, oh, it's my gosh, almost man. He's such a cool guy. It's almost annoying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. there comes a point almost where you're like, perfect. Oh, you're yeah, not yeah. real. You're you not real. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's no way you're that awesome. Uh, what did you play in, in high school? What position did you play? Football. Uh, okay, so um, I was a multi-sport athlete, mostly uh, football and baseball okay. were my two That's primary sports. I played basketball. I didn't finish. Um, I didn't do that all the way through. But um, little, uh, you know, Small town thing here is pretty yeah. cool. Um, I did. I told you I did a little binge listening uh, on yeah. some older yeah, podcasts. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. asked me to come on here, and so I, I looked at one and, and Jeff Conaway, who you had yes. on a little while ago. Yes, um, he was yeah. a year behind me in school, yeah, yeah, yeah. so friends with Jeff. Yeah, uh, played with Jeff, and uh, just a little tidbit of how small this world is. Um, Jeff was going into, and I think I'm right on this, but anybody that's listening can correct me on this. <laughs> um, so Jeff went in, Jeff is a great athlete, by the way. Sure. Um, yeah. I actually threw ju- junior high and as a sophomore, which would have been at a high school football, mm-hmm. I was, I was a quarterback. Um, okay. so I backed, uh, I was the 
second string quarterback, I guess you would say, my yes. sophomore year. Jeff would have still been playing yep. uh, junior high at that time. Yep. Uh, when we moved up, uh, when I moved to, uh, I guess, junior year, mm-hmm. Jeff came up. He started as a sophomore, so I backed him up. So I'll tell you where I'm going with this. Yeah. So I think this is correct, but Jeff mentioned that from junior high through his entire high school career mm-hmm. that he uh, that he, he won going. every game, right? <laughs> I think – I may have been the quarterback the year he <laughs> lost because I was backing him up. I, I started at tailback. I yeah. played both ways. I started at tailback and then uh, free safety for defense. Okay. Um, but I, I I just want to think I probably was quarterback. We'll just say yeah, probably had an up year, okay? <laughs> um, I didn't know you were – so you started at tailback? Yes. I did not know that. Well, you, you got to have some grit, man, to be running at the middle for a – you know, in that conference. You know, listening to Jeff brought back a lot of memories because, I, you know, in, in high school, I was no taller than this, believe it or not, you know, and uh, probably 150 pounds. And like Jeff said, um, we would play win and OCO. Yeah. Name some guys there. Yeah. And uh, I was small enough that I could take a hit. I felt like I was Could tough, you really? But I could take a yeah. hit because I didn't have a lot of mass behind me. I just bounced around a lot. Um, but I could take a lot of hard hits. But when we would play win – yeah, We'd dude. play win, and they would have Antonio it, Warren. It, it's safety. I would yeah. free safety. I would, you know, try to make a tackle, and they would have a lead blocker um, coming after me, and uh, it was just it hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. It uh, it was just different. They were just they were built different. Um, but yeah, there was there was some good athletes. They had some really good teams that um, year. Yes, or yes. those 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 years. And yeah, so, they were they were dominant. I didn't know. So, and, and obviously, you're still involved with sports because your your girls played. Both of them played, right? Oh yeah, yeah. They're, they're big into which is interesting. Are you coaching predators? Is that what you do? Right yes. Now? Okay. Yes. Uh, well, it's our high school team. We don't have a lot of competition um, because it's just at that age, um, competition is limited to mostly big cities, and yeah. so we don't uh, we don't have a lot of competition right now. Yeah, well, I'm glad you're still getting some of your competition fixed, at least a little bit. So Absolutely. That's great. Uh, what would be your last meal? Um, it, it'd have to be a combo, probably a, a really good uh, medium-rare steak. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've probably never heard anybody answer that. <laughs> That's pretty much the number one <laughs> uh, answer. But uh, outside of that, it would be maybe maybe some sushi, some really good sushi on the Ooh. side. So Yeah, what are you going to do for dessert? You, you, you got a sweet tooth? You know, it? I would choose... Salty over sweet, all day long. And so, like what? What's your salty snack or your salt? Like where do you go with? Oh, I just you know the steak. I mean, I would just uh, go, for, be go for, for the you. meal. I would be done at that point. We don't have a lot of um, dessert lovers on this podcast. Seems like recently. I mean, we could go to we could go to Andy's and probably get like okay. some frozen custard afterwards. Okay. That's okay. I all could right. do that. Yeah, yeah. We had uh, Sunny Curtis on here recently, and she said she's not a or not McMahon. Sorry, the Sunny McMahon, and she said that. uh for her dessert, she's not a dessert person. She's like, so I'll just do, uh, I'll just go with chicken and dumplings. That was her <laughs> dessert, dessert. dessert option. <laughs> yeah, like, okay. your last meal. All right, yeah. why not? Oh, that's good. What is on your nightstand right now? A lot of junk. My wife's laughing right now. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's everything that was in my pockets the last few weeks, probably. Uh, yeah. Just really, just it's a good place just, for it all to go. Yeah, receipts and yeah, change <laughs> a lamp. Yeah, it's got to be used for something. That's right. Uh, give us a snapshot of an ordinary moment in your life that brings you great joy. Uh, anytime that my kids are are happy, successful, um, that comes from, uh, I guess, on the sports field, mm-hmm. um, whether it's soccer or, um, I mentioned earlier, I, I like to hunt. 
um, taking the kids hunting and seeing them be successful harvesting a deer or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are, I would say, ordinary moments that are just very, as a dad, you just sit back and you meditate on for a little while. And I'm like, yep, this is, this is cool. Hey, we could pause this time for a little yeah, while. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Last question. What is one thing that you're deeply grateful for right now? Okay. So when I did your binge watching, yeah, I, yeah. I, I heard this question. And so I had some time to prepare for it yeah, a little yeah. bit. And that's a hard one. It is. Because I feel like I've been very blessed a lot. But if I have to look at what in my life I feel like is the most important, the most thankful thing, um, it'd be my wife. Mm. 100%. Um, she's kind of been, I mean, she's my rock. Mm. I'm very lucky in that uh, we, were, we were high school sweethearts. I was 15. Oh, she was 14. Wow. And uh, Did you approach her? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think maybe. I don't know. That's been a long time ago. <laughs> Maybe it was it was both it was both directions. It was just stars aligned. You know? <laughs> That's awesome. um, but uh, she just—it's easy to take it for granted for all these years. You know, we've yeah. been the, we've been married for twenty-one years. Yeah. Um, but to have that spouse that is—I I feel like has unconditionally loved me mm. every single day. Mm. That's um, awesome. There's probably not a lot of people that can say that. No. And so. Yeah, that's got to be yeah. that's got to be it. It's a huge gift, man. Definitely something to be thankful for. Well, I'm thankful for you. Thankful for your team. Thankful for the time that you uh, uh, took out of your day to get a picture with me and Ranger, <laughs> and uh, to come on the podcast. And so, hopefully, we can do it again in the future. But uh, Dr. Reddick, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jared. Appreciate it. And that was Dr. Brent Reddick. Really cool. Getting an opportunity to get a picture made with Ranger and oh, Dr. Yeah. Reddick. That was really good. Uh, Ranger was a good boy. Yeah, yeah. He was pretty good. He was pretty good. I mean, he was a little bit, you know, distracted, but uh, he, he, you know, sat long enough. And, uh, you know, looking back on that whole situation, I shared it, obviously, in the conversation. Like, I was surprised just how sad I was over the fact that I thought that dog was going to die. Yeah. And so to be able to get a picture with Ranger and Dr. Reddick, the one who was able to save his life, um, you know, just a really, really cool experience. So thank you for taking that picture. Oh, you're welcome, Dr. Reddick. Thanks so much for making space to come on. And if you're still listening to this, thanks so much. Uh, We do this because of you. So if you've not done so, go ahead, check us out on different social media platforms. We're on Facebook, on Instagram, primarily. You can give us a follow, give us a like. Um, And whatever platform that you're listening to this on, whether it's Apple, Spotify, or something else, please give us a five-star rating. That just helps people to find us more quickly and learn about the incredible people that are living right here in our community. So as always, thanks for listening. Until next time.